0: you're listening to the hub city church podcast to learn more about hub city church including our gathering times you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com well good morning it's great to see you guys this thing on who knows yeah it's on cool um also this thing's fun today look at that Um, Guys, it is great to see you. I hope you had fun on the snow day ice. Um, The thing that I loved about the ice is uh, the kids' snow clothes did not get as wet. You guys experienced that as well? You're not drying it out three times a day? It was awesome, actually, but then the falls were harder, so there's a give and take to everything, isn't there? Um, Also, uh, Brian Park, uh, anyone go down there during the snow? Okay, well, you saved yourself some some trouble. The, the park flooded and then froze, so it was literally like a lake. And uh, the hill that went down was incredible for sledding. And literally, my daughter went like 15 feet out onto the frozen lake. <laughs> and we weren't nervous at all. And um, <coughs> as we were yelling, I heard, and it was pretty awesome. So next ice storm, go to the frozen lake down in... Um, I'm really excited. I'm excited to get back into Matthew. We kind of had kicked off the year just with like a little New Year's message and then missed last week, obviously. Thank you for your grace um, just in our uh, trying to to keep everyone safe. Um, But I'm excited. We're back into Matthew. So if if you're kind of newish with us uh, for a while now, we've been into the gospel of Matthew and just kind of going line by line and really, really trying to um, just see Jesus in a new way and see him in the way that Matthew specifically portrays him. Um, as we kicked off the whole series, if you remember, actually in Matthew chapter 9, with Jesus's call of Matthew as a tax collector to join him. And already Matthew is just has a different perspective um, of Jesus and what that means and what he calls. And today is one of my favorite passages of all time. It is just such a rich uh, passage that we read and we know it's incredible. We know it's, it's awesome, but especially with modern medicine and stuff like that, it kind of feels like, well, you know, leprosy, what is that, you know, and that kind of thing. And, um, just the gravity of what happened then, but, um, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Uh, let's just recap real quick. So we're in chapter eight, which means we've already gone through Matthew one through seven, and all of those are recorded on YouTube or on podcasts and stuff. If you want to check those out, Um, But we've been working through, like I said, Matthew kind of retelling who he is portraying Jesus to be. The Jesus that was kind of like the Moses of old, that he was rescuing God's people from slavery once again and bringing them into the full promises of God. And Jesus has already done some amazing things. In the first seven chapters, he's already done some incredible things. We actually see this in chapter 4. and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So he's already just got such a following. He's doing incredible things. And seeing the great crowds behind him, Jesus now is about to, in chapters 5 through 7, he's going to give one of his most just incredible sermon, probably the most incredible sermon of all time, um, on the Sermon on the Mount, and today it's 100%. Or it's not 100% certain exactly where he stood, and all that we wouldn't know. But today, about the area that they think this is called the Mount of Beatitudes, um, so they actually have a church there. This is an aerial view of a church, and they would think something like Jesus would stand kind of where that was speaking, and you can imagine just the you know thousands of people that are on there right next to the Sea of Galilee. Um, so now there's actually a church there, which is pretty incredible. Um, and it's actually oriented, the church was built architecturally to, um, to show all the Beatitudes, so all the sides, and it has something, which is amazing. But now kind of post that, so imagine Jesus standing there, he's giving that sermon, Matthew 5-7, through 7. we walked through that before we got into our Advent series, and you can go read that. So now this is what we're told in chapter, chapter 8, verse 1. And when he came down from the mountain, from that spot, great crowds followed him. Okay, so now the teaching is out there. People have been following Jesus. He's been doing some incredible stuff, but now Jesus has fully given his vision of what he is about. His manifesto, the purpose, what he's going to do, kind of his curriculum. If you want to follow me, these are the things that it's gonna mean. And based on his mission statement, not only to learn and to grow, but that this will actually usher in the kingdom of heaven that he says is at hand, is near. And now he's going to move in the next couple of Sundays, the next couple of chapters, he's going to move into demonstrations of this kingdom that he's going to talk about. He's coming down from the mountain. A great crowd is behind him. Some, I imagine, are all just incredibly pumped. They're excited, right, with aspirations of now, what is this God going to do for me? Wondering what's Jesus going to do now? Are we just going to march in and change everything? Is everything going to happen in the blink of an eye? Are we just going to go and overthrow Rome tonight? Are we going to see more miracles? Some people are probably confused. Blessed are the poor. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Like, who is this guy? I kind of want my money back. Like, this was the worst sermon I've ever heard, you know? Then the very first thing that happens As if in response to all that questioning, to throw everyone's expectations out the window is an encounter with the last person that you would think or expect to show up to a densely crowded, popular hillside, a leper. So now leprosy today, if you look it up, it's kind of been uh, deemed more, I think it's called Hansen's disease now. Um, You can correct me on that. But in the ancient world, leprosy, they just didn't know. And so it was kind of basically the general term for any sort of skin disease. Like if you had blotchy skin or some like red popping out or whatever, like you had leprosy. I experienced the equivalent of leprosy in high school with acne is what I felt. I know what it means to walk in. I had bad acne and like, don't look at me. I'm hideous. You know, I knew what that meant. But this story is incredible. It has so many layers to it. And there's three layers that I want to kind of go into this story with. Layer one is Jesus meeting the humanity of this man. So this is verse two. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. So right here, already an incredible scene and completely inappropriate. Completely inappropriate. What is a leper supposed to do? So anyone with a leprous disease is to show themselves, when they, if they feel like they have that or they, they look at it, they show themselves to the priest. They'll be shut in a certain place for seven days. If at the end of that seven days they come out and they are fine, they're pronounced clean. But if they come out at the end of the seven days and with some still skin deformity, they're pronounced leprous. Okay, this is Leviticus chapter 13, our favorite book of the Bible. Verse 45, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So that's somewhat of a vision, a picture of what this guy looks like, smells like, feels like. In one commentary I read, because this went on forever, it says, In the Middle Ages, if a man became a leper, the priest donned his stole and took his crucifix and brought the man into the church and read the burial service over him. For all human purposes, the man was dead. So this man was an absolute outcast, totally alone, untouched, unhugged, no one could go near him, no one could share food with him. Think of all the Sabbath meals that he ate alone or just missed, all the birthdays, all the holidays, just you name it, utterly alone. This man was supposed to have avoided Jesus. Do you see the audacity this man has to approach the King of Kings? He knelt before him, which can also be translated as even a verb of worship. Called him Lord to show his utter fealty and hope in this Jesus. Remember who he was in front of. He was not just in front of Jesus, but the great crowds behind Jesus. Risking what little pride and self-worth he had left with this rabbi, who he has violated all the regulations to get close to. And what does he say? Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Did he ask a question? It wasn't, what authority do you have? Because he declared him Lord. It wasn't if he could heal him. He assumed that the power by saying, you can make me clean. It could be, are you willing to do so? But it's more stated in a way that's the confidence that purely by your will, I know I could be made clean. I'm declaring you have that much authority. And whether we don't know if the man had just heard Jesus's sermon, would he he be able to hear it or not? But what did Jesus just teach his people to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This man believes the kingdom to be here in Jesus, and it is his will, your will, to be done. The leper isn't asking a question. He's declaring a truth that he believes with all his heart. Verse 3, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be done. Clean. Then immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Rabbi Jesus met this man. He stretched out his hand, meaning the leper was closer than he should have ever been, but still Jesus voluntarily filled the gap to show his willingness. Jesus speaks to him, speaks kindly, and says that he will. When do you think the last time this man heard something positive? or someone helped this man. If you can't be near someone or touch anything near around or that he's touched, it's hard to help out, it's hard to share, it's hard to even talk to someone. Jesus touched him and spoke to him. Jesus also healed his skin. But the language is so fascinating. There are perfectly fine Hebrew and Greek words for actual healing. Actual bones remended, healing of the skin healing of disease, but the word for clean here is more of the word for purification. Make me pure is what the man was asking, not just heal my skin. The man wanted to be healed, yes, but he wanted his life back. He wanted to be a true Israelite again, and that meant he needed to be made pure again, not just well. And Jesus did this. In this action, not only did Jesus heal his skin, he healed his humanity. He gave him dignity. He gave him identity. He gave him his life back. Jesus, the author of life, came to earth to give life and life abundantly. This man was essentially pronounced dead while still living, and Jesus brought him from death to life. And that is awesome in itself, and that can seem really romantic, but there's actually a very real legal implication to this for their society. So this is layer two, the legality of what Jesus just did. Verse four, and Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So as you guys probably know, and and if you don't, it's kind of, it's probably understood, but there was a lot of cleanliness rituals in the Mosaic law and as the people lived. And there were lots of like, don't do this, do this. And if you do this, you have to get clean by this and all that kind of stuff, right? So the goal for them, the goal for the Israelite people was actually holiness, to be unique, to be set apart, to be clean, right? Israel, their focus was how holy can we possibly be? And sometimes they would take it too far and it would become very legalistic and and ritualistic and that kind of thing, right? Which is fascinating because what's our cultures struggle with? Our struggle with how close to the line of sin can we get and still be okay? Do you see the difference of that? We don't care about holiness. We care about, well, what can I still get away with, right? We saw this practice of holiness through the desert narrative in the beginning of our Bibles where the tribes of Israel were actually all centered around the tabernacle, God's holy presence that was set apart from anything else. And this tabernacle and later, later the temple was to be kept aggressively holy. Here was one of the main clean versus unclean laws they were to obey. This is Numbers chapter 5. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp, as the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. Okay, so all of these were dismissed from being in the camp. Touching dead things, having fluid discharge from your body, and then lepers, which again encompasses all skin disease. So it was kind of rather hopeless for those unless they went through the proper cleansing ceremonies. There was actually a merciful law, though, that was put in place for lepers who were cleansed and wanted back into community. And I served you guys by diving way too deeply into Leviticus 14, because it is insane. But I also, for those of you that haven't memorized it, um, I want to walk through it a little bit, because I don't know if we all know what a leper has to go through to become clean again. And this will make sense in a little bit. So this is Leviticus chapter 14. Verse 1, you guys excited? (laughs) I'm excited. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live, clean birds, okay, and cedar wood, plank of wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop. Hyssop real quick is like a, it's like a reed, like a branch. So think of like a paintbrush, the end of a paintbrush. Okay. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds, apologies if you're a bird lover, in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. Kill one of the birds over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the plank of wood, the cedar wood, and the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop, and dip them in the live and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. It's weird, don't worry. We all understand. He shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. Okay? Pretty weird, but pretty awesome. Upon seeing the disease is not on the person, the priest does all the sacrifice, blood, seven times situation in order to truly pronounce him clean. Okay, so this is done outside the camp. Verse eight, and he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water and he shall be clean. And after that, he may come into the camp but live outside his tent seven days. So, He's back in camp, which is already massive, right? Completely shaved, bathed, and clothed, but has to live outside it for seven days in public to show his healing to the community, okay? Literally, the shaving is literally to be like a newborn, to show that this person is reborn, remade, to be a witness of the cleansing that has happened to him, and that's not even the end of it, okay? Okay. Then there are sacrifices. The leper is, himself is to provide three lambs. And there's even a clause, if you read more of Leviticus 14, for those who are poor and can't afford that. It's actually a clause for that. It goes through the full range of sacrifices, sin offering, guilt offering, and burnt offering, to show the totality of asking God for forgiveness for any and all offenses to be fully cleansed. And then, after all that, the leper is anointed. Leviticus 14, 14. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Did anyone memorize this in Awanas growing up? <laughs> like, where was this verse? <laughs> I want a badge for this verse. Did you guys know? So this is so, super cool. So the right ear the right ear, this one should hear God first. Right thumb, this one should put his hand to do God's will first. And right foot, or right toe, this one should follow God's path first. Cool symbolism. Do you know who else has to go through all that? Any priest. This is the exact same ceremony for the priests, the Levitical priests that they have to go through. The healing leper has a special calling and anointing on his life. And then the same process is repeated with oil, which would take way too long to get into. But oil is such a cool symbol. And a lot of the symbolism comes from the Garden of Eden, establishing heaven on earth. And then later in our New Testament is a a, a metaphor for the Holy Spirit, which is incredible. Same thing on the right ear, right thumb, right toe. So in this ritual, the priest was to make atonement for the leper, to pronounce the man fully clean. And the whole point of Leviticus is to show the people that God really is holy and truly the sovereign God of all things. And one day would be among his people again in purity. But for this leper, he knew who claimed him clean. He knew who healed him. He'll never forget who healed him and pronounced him clean, fulfilling in his will all of what the man just went through. It was God found in Jesus Christ. So back to our story, back to Matthew. Now you know what this man was about to go through. This was what he was going to do. Did Jesus have to send him to the priests? Did he have to go through that process to be cleansed? No, in terms of Jesus said, be made clean. You are clean. But what did he say? He said, I'm sending you as proof to them. This man was now a testimony, a testimony that the priests would have to ask and wonder, well, who pronounced you clean? How did this happen? Only God can do this. No doubt, even though this was a Mosaic law, there's actually no other recording of a leper healed this way. And this is just my own thoughts, but how are they prepared for that? Like, this would have been a ceremony that they didn't do regularly, right? So I would imagine some scrambling of like, go find a bird, you know, and go out and that kind of thing. Probably wondering all the while, like, what? We've never done this before. Right? This man would have to say, yes, I was not only healed, but cleansed because of Jesus not in the temple, but out there while I was dead, while I met him who made me alive. Legally, this man with his testimony would now be a fully reinstated Israelite. And almost more than that, he went through all the ritual ceremony rituals of a priest. Representing in himself full cleanliness, but instead of going back to his ways, he was now a witness for the Messiah with a special and unique calling on his life. And this particular man was so much a witness that we're actually told in Mark's account of this, that he actually made life harder for Jesus with his exuberance. This is Mark 1, 44 and 45. Same story. See that you say nothing to anyone, is Jesus talking to him, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a prive to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and the people were coming to him from every quarter, which is just hilarious. Layer three. Layer three is what Jesus is doing here theologically. How is God invading humanity here? What is happening in this story? Going back to verse two and three, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So now I want to take us to the prophet Isaiah. Now, you guys, if you've been around Hub for a while, you might have heard this story before. And Steve actually brought it up um, during our Advent series, During Love. Um, But this is actually an incredible vision that really gets to the heart of what Jesus is doing, how God is invading humanity, bringing his kingdom to earth. So this is Isaiah chapter 6. So Isaiah, prophet in in the Old Testament, used to speak to Israel and how they are turning from God and disobeying him. Okay. He's used, God's using him to be the voice for him. And in chapter six, we don't know what Isaiah was smoking, but he just had this incredible vision. And this is verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face With two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Just imagine that scene, incredible. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Okay, everything's shaking. The place is filled with smoke. This is like a youth ministry win, Uh, for a night, right? An all-nighter. But this is an incredible vision. Verse five, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Listen to what he says. I am a man of unclean lips. What was his job? a prophet. He was to be the mouthpiece for God, to proclaim his word to God's people. But here, compared to the holiness of God, this was a righteous man, a righteous man in Israel. But compared to the holiness of God, Isaiah is utterly shook to his core at how unclean he actually is. And not only him, but all the people as well. We thought maybe we were doing okay, but now compared to your glory, we are horrifically unclean. Verse six, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Can you imagine if you were at a barbecue and someone picks up a coal and starts walking towards you? How do you feel? right? This is, this is a terrifying scene. Like already in the glory of God, Isaiah would have been like, why am I not just smoke right now? I should have been obliterated. I've lasted this long. Here comes my doom. Like this is happening. This is going to sting. Verse 7, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What did he say? I am a man of unclean lips. Where does God touch him? God touches his lips and makes him clean. Your guilt and sin are taken away. What came up in you when you entered my presence is now taken away. It's forgiven. Now go and share that message. God's holiness makes clean what was unclean clean. And we've seen the belief, and we know in Israel, that, that the uncleanness was contagious to people. And for Isaiah now, in his belief system, for the seraphim to touch him, he the seraphim would become unclean. He would defile this place. But instead, what happened? He saw a vision that holiness was contagious. Right? He was touched by holiness, and he was made clean. There's something stronger than the darkness. Now, fast forward to our scene today. This is known. This is a legendary vision. Right, The people of Israel know this. We fast forward. Leprosy has long been a biblical metaphor for sin. The kind of disease that there's no permanent cure for and slowly kills you from the inside out. The man before Jesus represented one who is stricken and utterly unclean or full of sin. It was even recorded that many rabbis even believed that someone with leprosy was being punished by God for the ill they've done. And they'll even boast in how much they are find disgusting a leprous person and they'll avoid him. They'll walk on the other side of the road of a leprous person. But there was God in the flesh, just teaching about an upside down kingdom on a hill that was going to be a blessing to the broken, an unfathomable kind of self-sacrificing love that would go out even to their enemies, that this would be a new kind of foundation for living that would be unshakable. And this Jesus reaches out his hand And again, in every Jewish belief, if he touched the leper, Jesus would become unclean and become like the dead man himself. And he touches the leper right on his skin. Isaiah's vision is coming true in Jesus. Jesus's holiness is enough to cleanse the man completely. Jesus's holiness is sufficient to cleanse sin. Now the leper knows. Soon the priests will know God is here in the flesh. And this is just the beginning. Jesus is about to do demonstration after demonstration of his kingdom in action. This time it was with reinstating and redeeming an Israelite. And if you come back next week, we'll go to the full other side and have compassion on an enemy of Israel and help an enemy but I think the reason Matthew puts this story right after the Sermon on the Mount is that we can't see Jesus as Lord. We can't hear a sermon like he did on the mountain. and want that and see him as Lord until we first see ourselves like a leper. We might not have a skin disease, but sin has plagued us just as badly. Some heard the Sermon on the Mount were hyped, thinking now what their Savior was going to do, what they wanted him to do. Finally, we have a champion for our cause. But Jesus is about a different path. The leper would be like a priest. The ones who know they're unclean would be the ones made clean. This healing of the leper isn't the pinnacle of miracles that Jesus has been working his way up to, doing small things to now get to this point. This is the base foundation for what God has come to do. He's demonstrating this is it, the kingdom of heaven right here. Not just to be a miracle worker, but to truly save the people from their sins. Jesus came for the ones who were sick and want to be made well. And Jesus met them in their darkness Isaiah had unclean lips, so the burning coal touched his lips. The man had a skin disease, so Jesus touched his skin. This man was completely on the outside of his own people and society, and Jesus brought him back more into the fold than ever before. In this one story following on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is showing his power over all creation, over sin, over death itself, and establishing a new people remade after encountering the Christ. You see, Jesus, he doesn't wait until the cross to be making all things new. He doesn't only bring back to the dead after Easter, right? He's doing that right here, right now. Just like God came down from heaven to be with His people and make all things new, Jesus comes down from the mountain to be with His people, regardless of who they've done or, or who they are, what they've done, and if they believe, He will bring them from death to life. This is what He's done for you and I. Like on whatever layer of this story that you most identify with, and there's even more that we didn't cover, Jesus has come to meet you. Think of what you perceive to be the worst, most deepest, darkest, sinful part of your life. That is the thing that is uncomparable to God's holiness. This is what Jesus came for and wants to cleanse. We don't have to have a vision like Isaiah's. If God's spirit is within you, then we're living examples of being in God's presence. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that all would be fulfilled in him. He's done it. Jesus met us all on a human level. He's legally brought our, bought our freedom from the law by his death and resurrection so that we are now under grace and he has washed those who believe in him clean. The old has gone, the new has come. We are made new in the presence of an all-encompassing salvation of God. And he's given us his holiness, wrapped in his grace to bring to every influence of our life. One of my favorite passages, New Testament, 2 Corinthians, calls this now our ministry of reconciliation. Because Jesus has brought us through his body and his blood back to the very presence of God who and reconciled us back to him, we now work for the restoration and reconciliation of all things. 2 Corinthians 5.18, and this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. That should pump you up. We are sent into the dark parts of the world. What did he say in the Sermon on the Mount? You are the salt and the light of the earth, going to the decay, going to the darkness. We're sent to the hardest, messiest people. Some of us are those people. We get to reach out and touch and hug and laugh and cry to everybody in our immediate area, to be God's presence to those around us. And when we allow God's spirit to flow In and through us, people can encounter God, the living God. We don't just come up with whatever ministries we want to be uh, a part of. God has given his ministry of reconciliation a church. A group of people dedicated to the Lord, willing to be sent. Immediately after that vision in Isaiah, immediately after he sees all of that, and even feels that woe is me, if you keep reading verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, so whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah said, I can be a part of that holiness taking over. I can't not be a part of that. But to do this together, this takes a personal commitment. See, we, we are in this tension in between Isaiah and the leper. Isaiah experienced his total depravity in the presence of God's holiness, and he cried out, woe is me. He felt it. He experienced it. Compared to God, woe is me. The leper already knew his total depravity, but he called upon the Savior to save him, with saying with unwavering confidence, you can make me clean. The righteous man before the throne of God, woe is me the unrighteous person before the king of kings said, you can make me clean. If you encounter God today, I pray you will be shocked like Isaiah was with the conviction of the leper. For us to live in attention and to say in worship, woe is me and you can make me clean, Lord. If you encounter, there's no better prayer in scripture if you've read this before with that kind of heart, then David's prayer in Psalm 51, and I want to end today reading that over us. Let this be your prayer today to have that. Woe is me, and you can make me clean. Let this be our prayer today. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Look at the word he says here. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. This is it, church. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Amen.